This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to his disciples, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is God's word. But on my own, from my side, I would like to be face to face with him and forgive him. Forgive him what he's done. And that way I can find most probably more peace with the situation. And you would forgive him, Mike, whether this was a tragic accident or whether this was a murder? Whatever the outcome I feel with my belief, and if, uh, if Christ could forgive when he died on the cross, why can't I? Who am I not to forgive him? So we've been working through this series, You, Me, and Peace, uh, the first half of which we're exploring God's plan for bringing peace into relationships where there's inevitable tension and conflict when we have real relationships. And there seems to be about four steps in God's Word that He gives us for peace. Step number one, glorify God. Step number two, get the log out. Step number three, gently restore. You can find all these, by the way, on our website from messages in the last few weeks. And today... Step number four, go and be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. When Jesus says to leave even the most important thing that you're doing to be reconciled, reconciled, the the root of that Greek verb carries a sense of to change or to alter. We are commanded, friends, to go through a process with a person that will result in change, real substantial, substantial change. And as we see in this clip that we just watched, the possibility even for change is excluded unless a genuine spoken offer of forgiveness is extended. It just can't happen otherwise. Someone's got to give. You've likely heard by now about Riva Steenkamp, the former girlfriend of Oscar Pistorius. Pistorius is a South African runner who had his legs amputated at 11 months old and competes with this sort of J-shaped carbon fiber prosthetics that attach just below his knees. He was made initially famous by his participation and performance in last summer's London Games, sort of international fame, came to him through that. And on Valentine's Day of this year, uh, Pistorius fatally shot his girlfriend, Riva Steenkamp, in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, He claims he thought it was a burglary and was acting in self-defense, but he's been charged with premeditated murder. Mike Steenkamp, from whom you just heard, was a close uncle to his niece, Riva. And... I just want to share a couple things that stood out to me when we, you know, I heard this interview this past week. Um, 
The first was that, was that he pointed to the cross as his reason for forgiving. I mean, that was powerful. That's true. That the cross alone can fuel this real genuine, permanent offer of forgiveness. One that's real and one's lasting. Even when someone doesn't feel like forgiving. And so if I was to interview most of us here as to whether we've either hurt or really been hurt more in our lives, most of us would say we've been hurt more. If nothing else, because we can't see all our actions and our motives clearly, and we don't know the full scope of the effect that those actions and our motives of our heart have had on other people. We can never know that. And so when we are genuinely hurt, our natural reflex is to either hold on or hurt back. We don't have a resource to draw from that allows us to freely forgive someone. Especially when we see ourselves more as victim than as criminal. But if you believe that the God of the universe has done no wrong and thus has every right to judge us for the wrongs we have done to him, yet instead allowed himself to receive and be punished by his own judgment so that he could forgive you and I, well, then we have his resource. This real, objective, historical resource to freely forgive others. He has done no wrong yet took the judgment to forgive us through Jesus Christ. And that's what Reva's uncle Mike drew from. One other thing I noticed here is that he didn't miss his moment. This uncle had a family member stripped from him by another human being. But as a Christian, he didn't miss his moment. The moment God had ordained for him to show forgiveness. In the limelight... Right, interviewed on CNN, thrust upon the world stage, freely offers to forgive his niece's killer. Face to face. On the one hand, this must have been an excruciating decision to actually say these words, to get them out. A decision that likely none of us here have had to face, thank God. On the other hand, having said this, it was easier for Mike Steenkamp not to miss the moment that God had appointed for him. Right? It was obvious because of the international exposure, the lights, the camera, the world stage, he had this public opportunity that few of us are ever afforded, nor do we want to have afforded to us. The point is this, for most of us, our moment is less obvious. Our moment to forgive, to bend, to sacrifice our wants and needs is less obvious. Our moment to finalize peace, to extending forgiveness, arise usually when we're focused on something otherwise important to us. And so we're more likely to miss it. Something we enjoy, something we look forward to. In Jesus' example that Laura read for us, such a moment occurs while a person is engaged in public worship. 
Jesus, no doubt, uses this example in part because it was so common for his audience to care about being not just at church, not just at the temple, but the innermost part of the temple is what Jesus describes here. Near the Holy of Holies. This is a big moment for a religious Jewish person. A cherished moment. Offering sacrifice, likely listening to parts of God's word, probably offering up some prayers. In such a sacred and cherished moment, it would be easy to miss God's prompting, the Spirit's prompting to leave and go forgive someone. Why why would I leave this place that I I enjoy? I want to be here. It's important to me to go forgive. Where is that for you, friends? Where is that place for you? We are often most prone to feeling hurt, don't you know, when someone has muddled up some experience, some place, some encounter that we most cherish. Right? Someone has messed it up. They've mucked it up. They've, they've just got in there. They've frustrated that moment. Maybe they've just interrupted. Maybe they've soured the moment for you in some way. That's when we tend to get angry. So we have our wants, our goals frustrated. We're deprived of something. We feel like it. It's in these moments we most cherish. So I want you to do me a favor. Uh, You should have a bulletin with you and a pen nearby. I want you to write down a couple of times and places that you relish or look forward to. All right? So wherever you are right now, a couple times and places you relish or look forward to. It could be uh, dinner alone with someone. It could be a family vacation. It could be a time of year here in Cayman that you look forward to. But it could be something much more simple, like a, a break during your day to check a favorite website or blog. It could be the drive you make on the way home. You're just relieved to get away from work and you enjoy pumping the music. But, you know, it's a favorite TV show. Hey, it's, it's, it's Thursdays. My favorite show's on. Whatever that might be, write that down. Make an opportunity. Because I want us to identify these moments when forgiveness might be most needed, but also most potentially missed. It usually happens in these moments We love, we enjoy, we're so focused on them. Why would I think about forgiving people and all that kind of stuff? In a nutshell, sermon in a nutshell this morning, I want you to don't miss your moment to cap off peacemaking by verbally extending forgiveness. Don't miss your moment to cap off peacemaking by verbally extending forgiveness. This is the last of four steps. And I want to use a very imperfect analogy that has to do with peacemaking and garbage. All right, going forward. People are doing big things with garbage nowadays. You know this? Like big old trash heaps. Whether it's cities, waste management facilities, and the like, they're doing wonderful things with garbage heaps. Having collected and systematically piled up sufficient amounts of garbage dumps, in places like Portland, Oregon, or Mount Trashmore of Virginia Beach. That's right, there's another one. They will cap off the trash site with this two-foot-thick earthen cover. Okay, And then on top of that, there's a synthetic layer that helps keep out burrowing animals. All right. Pretty soon, over a course of enough time, voila, you have a beautiful park, a playground for kids, or a golf course which I prefer. Lovely green space. You've heard of this, right? 
And so that will actually be happening right just behind us here. Cayman's very own Mount Trashmore. It's in the works. In peacemaking. We want to first glorify God through this process of making peace with someone. But we know ahead of time it's going to start out messy and kind of smelly. So first you bring out your own garbage that Jesus describes as a log in your eye. You gently then confront your neighbor's garbage. Anyone ever ever have to do that? Talk to their neighbor about their garbage issues? Uh, With the hope that in the end, in the end, God will make the relationship far better, far more useful to him. To do this, you and I must cap off the peacemaking process with forgiveness. Got to cap it off. Because you can bring out, you can collect, you can organize garbage and be vulnerable with the best intentions, but if you don't cap it off, (laughs) what you get? When the winds of adversity make the relationship start to stink, neither party wants to live near it. So the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at the material with which we cap off peacemaking, how to cap off peacemaking well, how to keep the cap screwed on tight, and finally, the consequences of not capping. All right, so it's all about capping this morning. All right, the material with which we cap off peacemaking is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is never optional for the Christian. It's often just a matter of how you arrive at forgiveness. If we're under the grace of God, we're blessed to Arrive at forgiveness through the heart. That's ideal. This is when you've so meditated on, beheld, cherished the forgiveness that Christ offers to you that the forgiveness of a brother and sister is just an overflow. It's just a natural response. You, you meditate on Christ's forgiveness and then overflow is to forgive someone else. Get Forgive a neighbor. Forgive a brother or sister in Christ. If that happens, man, praise God. That is great. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As Christ has forgiven you, let the overflow of that be the forgiveness of others. Colossians 3.13, very similarly, says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, again, as the Lord has forgiven you. So sometimes it's this overflow of the forgiveness you have meditated on, you've cherished in Jesus Christ. But, as you and I don't always spend our mornings, our times in bed and the evenings meditating on the forgiveness of Christ, that happens, Jesus gives us another strategy, which is to arrive at forgiveness through the mind and the will. Through our minds and our wills. And so he says in Matthew 6, 14-15, a little bit more bluntly, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Yay, that's great news. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Here's where we just get down to brass tacks. Jesus appeals to both rationality and the selfish bent of the will, which is, you know, it stands to reason. If I want forgiveness, I know I'm imperfect, I'm ill-deserving of Jesus' forgiveness, and I want it, and I better give it to others who I feel aren't deserving also. Sometimes you've got to forgive that way. Do just a, do the will when we don't want to. John Piper says about these verses in Matthew 
No one who cherishes a grudge against someone dare approach God in search of mercy. It is a dreadful thing to try to make God your patsy by asking him to act in a way that you, as your actions so, esteem very lowly. Obviously, you don't esteem forgiveness much if you're not willing to offer that to your brother, to your sister. And yet to do so and then go to God and say, you know what, God, I mean, I, I need your forgiveness, I need your mercy. God ain't no patsy. And so we do not get to dictate the terms of our forgiveness. There's only one other option not being forgiven by the one who can preserve or destroy our soul. So, forgiveness. It's a necessary material. If we're going to do peacemaking well, we have to cap it off to end it with forgiveness. How do you do this well? Let me give you four very brief strategies here. How do you do this capping off forgiveness well? Number one, live a lifestyle of daily remembering and receiving the forgiveness of Christ. This is all about just doing the work every day. Getting before Jesus, who said at the end of an encounter with this woman, Luke 7, 47, one of my favorite little nuggets of Scripture, that he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Do you want to be ready to to love people well? To love back? To forgive back? You've got to get yourself before the cross every day to confess and receive forgiveness. If you're not forgiven much, you're not going to love much. If you're forgiven little, you're going to love little. So get forgiven every day. Number two, identify the speck you are forgiving. Clear everything else out of the way. Your past with that person, and especially all the subtle ripple effects caused by that person's sin against you. It's easy when you actually get into a conversation. If you get worked up, it's easy to feel like, you know what, I need you to know all the ways that you're hurt has affected my life. Just all the ways. All, I really want to just tell you, man, I mean, it, it's affected my job. It's affected my marriage. It's affected my friendships. It's affected the way I look at God. I need to tell you all these things so you know how badly it hurt. Ask God to help you put those things, along with your own insecurities, aside to help you truthfully see what the speck is, what the actual action or inaction is accurately. Number three, declare aloud both the speck. This is probably the most important point here. Declare aloud both the speck and your forgiveness of it. So an example. Uh, hey, Mabel, I forgive you for not speaking to me first about your problems with me. Instead, going and speaking about your community group. About, about me. All right? I forgive you. And later that night, seal the deal in privacy. God, I forgive Mabel for not speaking to me about that problem first. We're going to other people first. It's amazing, you know, Jesus, it's an amazing moment after Jesus rises from the dead. That's pretty amazing, by the way. We're going to be celebrating that in a few weeks here, Easter time. Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples. He hasn't yet gone up into heaven. And during this mo- these moments, Jesus says some pretty profound things to his disciples, one of which 
is he actually gets before them. This is John 20, 22 and 23. And it says that Jesus breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of, any, of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. If you forgive, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. Now, all kinds of theologians and commentators talk about how do you actually apply this kind of thing? Do you have this kind of power over people? It's difficult, but what I can say for certain is this. As a Christian, you have this remarkable power to release someone by speaking forgiveness. To release someone from pain, from bondage, from guilt, from hardness by speaking forgiveness. And so the enemy then of forgiveness isn't always necessarily just anger or bitterness or cutting words, but it's also no worries, or no big deal, or man, it's cool. You are, if you've trusted Christ, a Christian. You have the power when someone comes to you and says, you know what, I messed up. I messed up to say, I forgive you. You know what, I forgive you. That's not condescending, that's not holier than thou. That is ministering to a person. And so I, I, I truly believe the enemy... Of speaking of forgiveness isn't so much the anger or the bitterness. It's the, the casual, as the world would say, no, nah, don't worry about it. No worries. Take that opportunity to say, no, no, I forgive you. I guarantee you that person's going to, they're going to stand to attention. They're going to hear that. You have this power, Jesus says, to speak forgiveness and release people. It's amazing. All right, number four. Renounce sinful attitudes, unrealistic expectations. Okay, you said, hey, I forgive you, bro. What does that mean? It means, number one, to renounce the expectation of the offender to earn or achieve the forgiveness afterwards. Okay, good. Got this forgiveness thing going on. Now it's time for you to pay for lunches, right? (laughs) It's your turn. Or uh, another one, desiring to punish the offender in subtle ways and thoroughly demanding a guarantee. That person's going to just completely change. They're never going to hurt you again. You can't demand that when you forgive someone. This is how we can do forgiveness well. Cap it off well, this peacemaking process. How do we then keep the cap screwed on tight? Right. So I have here this, uh, this lovely bottle of Honest tea, I don't know what this is. I would have gotten Snapple, but all my wife had around the house was honest tea, no doubt from some co-op hippie store, I'm sure somewhere, I don't know, I love her. Um, It's important, once you've forgiven someone, you think it's over, it's it's, it's done for, but you've got to keep that cap screwed on tight, right? If not, you get this sort of leakage, right? And and, and you don't want leakage, let me tell you, because what's in here isn't tea, it's actually pond water from our very own Harkwell Pond out here. That's right, out there this morning getting this stuff. And let me tell you, it just landed on my foot, my toenail, and I don't have a toenail anymore, all right? I can just feel the burning sensation. You know it's working when you feel that, so. Keep the cap screwed on tight. How do we do that? How do you keep forgiveness screwed on so that it doesn't fall apart in the relationship and when tension arises, old things don't come back in? Number one, replace feelings with actions. Three quick strategies here. Replace feelings with actions. Our feelings, friends, are supposed to follow our actions. It's not the other way around. Oftentimes we, do, we want the feelings to come first, then I'll do something about it. 
But listen to what Jesus says here in Luke 6, 27-28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Doing good is part of the equation here. Doing the opposite of your feelings when you're deeply hurt. I want to encourage you, if you feel deeply hurt or you're battling bitterness, do the opposite of your feelings. As hard as it is, doing it with a clenched fist, and biting your tongue. Look for opportunities to do something for another person even when you don't feel like doing it. Uh, I have a Christian friend who was one day so frustrated with his coworker for dropping the ball on an, on an order they were supposed to complete, they started to just tear him a new one, chewing him out, and he inexplicably caught himself, grace God, and he stopped. He just went into his office, shut his door. The next morning, the coworker heard a noise, looked outside, and there was my friend mowing his lawn. What do you think happened? Well, certainly the co-worker stood at attention, but just as importantly, my friend, his heart changed towards that person. C.S. Lewis put it this way, nobody can always have devout feelings. And even if we could, feelings are not what God principally cares about. Christian love is an affair of the will. If we are trying to do his will, we are obeying the commandment, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He will give us feelings of love if he pleases. We cannot create them for ourselves. Now, another issue comes on here. You don't want this leakage to happen, right? Like we just, I just showed you. You don't want leakage to happen and forgiveness to fall away. My, one of my big questions in thinking about this this morning is, how do you really forgive and forget? Anyone ever heard that phrase before? Right, you forgive and forget. Is that even possible? Most of us, most people who study the human mind say it's impossible naturally just to forget. Said one, uh, Dr. Earl Radmacher, no one has been able to design a computer as efficient as the human mind. Consider your brain is capable of recording 800 memories per second for 75 years without getting tired. And we have a young church. Think about that. So you never really forget anything. You just choose not to recall it. As a Christian, then, we need to somehow find a way to suppress total recall. How do we suppress total recall? To combat each and every recall by reinitiating forgiveness. Reinitiating forgiveness. So, for instance, most of my unwanted recall occurs during my morning routine. Just shaving, brushing, washing. All right, that's me. All right, and while I have memory verses in front of me, I have oftentimes a praise song or hymns like blaring on my iPod. Man, I am still like in zombie mode in the morning. Very uh, unguarded and vulnerable to old grudges and wrongs rising up in my thoughts, getting recalled. That's the time I'm always thinking like, yeah, yeah, that person, they should pay for that. When the recall rises up, I need to go to the cross again, recall Jesus' forgiveness of me, and go through that process of forgiving again. Even if that means naming the speck, the thing the person did to wrong me, and sometimes even out loud saying, Jesus, I forgive that person. But wait a minute, I thought you already forgave. That's what happens. You've got to keep forgiving. There's this gradual process and gradually, friends, it does go away. That's the encouragement. I can't tell you how long, but I can encourage you. 
one day there will be no more recall. And so I think the idea isn't so much forgive and forget, but forgive to forget. Not forgive and forget, but forgive in order to forget. And it will happen. Thirdly, make a triple commitment before the Lord, and possibly before the other person. Use discernment. God, I promise I will not bring up this incident again and use it against the other person. It's not going to bring it up again. I promise I will not talk to others about the incident. And I promise I'll not allow this incident to stand between myself and the other person, our relationship. It's an important part of all this. Some people forgive, but they don't really allow the relationship to be repaired. You know, it's like they utter their words and then they just go on living the way they were when the relationship was damaged. Imagine if God did that. Imagine if God, like we often do, said, hey, yeah, I forgive you, but I just don't really want to have anything to do with you. Like, that would be a problem <laughs> because he's sort of the, like in charge of heaven and eternity. And so he might forgive me, but that really doesn't mean very much if he doesn't want anything to do with me. Forgiveness means re-including that person into your life and they into yours. All right, one last thing here. What are the consequences if we don't cap this peacemaking process with forgiveness? Well, you end up with unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping others will die. One of our greatest weapons we try to use in these scenarios to get people to change is unforgiveness. Thinking it'll change people. So we think we're hurting someone through our snide remarks, cynicism, separation, silence. But we're really just poisoning ourselves and our relationship with God. A counseling professor of mine was explaining to me one day how in his younger years he liked to do fancy object lessons. One day he, students walked into his class and they found this, this giant target on the wall. Right, this, this big target and, and darts on a nearby table. And he had students draw a picture of someone in their lives they had a grudge against. Or maybe it was just someone they didn't like. And he let them take a dart and just, just throw them at that picture. Post the picture up there. One person drew a picture of a buddy of his who always seemed to use him in the relationship. Another woman drew a picture of her parents. Uh, one woman named Sally drew a picture of a former friend of hers who made a lot of promises that he didn't keep. Sally got really into drawing this picture. She, she drew pimples on his face and a big schnoz and that sort of thing, you know. So the class lined up, and they went to town on this target. I mean, just, first it was a little bit of throwing, you know. Let's try to really hit, let's try to hit their, their ear or their mouth or whatever. But then, I mean, it started getting as hard as it could, as hard as it could began ripping apart not only the pictures, but the target behind it. Sally wanted her turn, but because of the time, the professor had the class sit down. And Sally was kind of ticked. She was fuming. And I wanted to get my chance. Literally mad that she couldn't throw a dart at this picture. And just then, the professor began removing the target from the wall. And underneath was a picture of Jesus Christ. Rips. His jagged marks covering his face, piercing holes where his eyes had once been. And an inscription underneath his face that said, Inasmuch as you have done to the least of my brothers, so 
you do to me. A vivid picture of what unforgiveness can do, not only to us, but to our relationship with Jesus. So friends, I encourage you, don't miss. Don't miss it. Don't miss your moment to cap off peacemaking through verbally offering forgiveness. Release the person and release yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, first of all, that you are willing to take a just judgment upon yourself. You had done no wrong, and yet, Lord, most of our lives, we've said no to you. You have a way. You have a way that will bless us. You have commands that will give us life. You have a law that provides freedom, yet we say no, no, no. We want to do our own thing. And yet, in Jesus Christ, you took that just punishment for rebelling upon yourself in order to extend us forgiveness. So, Jesus, you've given us this resource, the cross, through which we can freely forgive other people. Help us actually do it. So, as we're vulnerable with people, as we're open about man, here's how I've messed up in this conflict or in this tension. As we, as we then share with someone, we try to gently restore them, here's how I feel hurt. Here's how I feel wrong, and I want to express that to you. Help us not forget to cap off that process with speaking forgiveness. As Christians, what an amazing gift we have because we're forgiven through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, offer forgiveness You can offer forgiveness and it will do something in that person's life. It will truly release them. Help us not be afraid to do that, Lord. Especially those of us who don't want to say it, who are laid back, who'd rather just say no worries, no big deal. It's all good. Help us actually have the faith and the belief that no, I want to love this person well enough. Say, I forgive you. So release them from what holds them and also release ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.